The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 56. Uh, tonight, talking some more baseball prospects, especially the big Shohei Otani news. And in order to do that, uh, bring it on at Prospect Jesus. His name is Ralph Lifshitz. You can find him on uh, uh, the internet working for Rasball at rasball.com. Ralph, how are we doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How's it going? It's going good. Going good. Um, I saw your article on Otani the other day, the, the morning after the big news came out. Really, really awesome stuff. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get going on the Prospect News. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm, I'm Ralph Lifshitz, uh, as you mentioned, recently changed my Twitter handle from Ralph Lifshitz, which no one could spell to uh, Prospect Jesus, because I am here to save your fantasy team. <laughs> That's what I do. I help people out with uh, fantasy slants on prospects, because there is a lot of prospect coverage out there that's really, really good from sites like Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus, et cetera, et cetera. But they're really baseball focused. So in their rankings and everything they do and really cover, there's defense factored in, intangibles, leadership. We don't really care about that for our fantasy teams over at Rasball. So what I'm really focusing on primarily, I think, so it's why I'm typically very hitter, very hitter heavy in terms of the players that I focus on and just sort of my approach with pitching, and I'm sure we'll get into over the course of this episode. Uh, so I try to cover, you know, the minor leagues during the season, sort of do a similar update to uh, what my boss over there, Gray Albright, does uh, five days a week, where he pretty much updates every single game, newsmakers, you know, you know what the stat lines were, uh, anything that's noteworthy. I try to do the same uh, with a slant on, you know, dynasty, what players you really should be paying attention to uh, long-term. And... Uh, once in a while, I get to do something cool, like write about uh, Shohei Otani. So, um, as you mentioned, I mean, that post was was a lot of fun to write. I think I was going to write maybe like 800 or like 1,000 words, something really quick just to sort of go over the player that he is, um, you know, as a pitcher. And, and obviously, the interesting uh, wrinkle in the whole thing is that he's also like an all-star hitter as well. Um, and just sort of go over, you know, what is in, you know his skill set is and how that might play. So much interesting uh, you know, in, interesting uh, angles and uh, ways to break down the story that I end up writing like 16, 1,700 words. So I go into everything from the signing bonuses and how that breaks down. Um, I mean, you know, what what angle do you want me to go to on, on Otani? Because honestly, I could probably talk about Otani for like two hours. I'm, I'm <laughs> that sort of enamored with this story. Well, that's why I, uh, I, I asked you to come on because I love prospects in general and we'll get into some other ones, but I am very, very curious to get all the Otani news I can. Your article, like you said, you covered it all from just the basics all the way to his hitting, his pitching, what he does, his pitches, the rankings, you know, as if you're a scout to his, um, you know, potential for fantasy viability in the future. So much to go over. So we're going to kind of hit a little bit on all of it. But like you mentioned, he's an all-star Cy Young caliber pitcher, and he's also a phenomenal all-star caliber hitter. He's like the current closest thing to Babe Ruth we'll see. We've seen, you know, Rick Ankill back in the day tried to make it happen. We have a couple um, kids that were drafted in this recent draft and Brendan McKay and Hunter Green, which we'll talk about, who are, are two-way athletes. But uh, Otani is just kind of a, a totally different thing. So let's just go first. Take, tell us about his pitching skills, what we can expect from Otani as a pitcher. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you're talking about what he primarily should be focused on, and, and I'll just go out there and say, as excited as I am for him as a hitter, um, if I owned a major league team that was making an investment in Otani, um, <laughs> I would definitely want him just to, to focus on pitching. I mean, this guy has been uh, sort of comped as a top 10 pitcher, a young Justin Verlander type. And, and what I mean is his arsenal is very similar. He works off of uh, a high 90s to 100-mile-per-hour fastball. He can get into triple digits easy, touches 102 on the gun consistently. Uh, I mean, so he really has you know a serious fastball with uh, some sink to it and some and some life and some bite. So there's movement on it as well. It's not a straight, you know, 100 miles an hour. So uh, it really comes at you. He also mixes that in with, you know, a 70 grade, you know, on the 70, uh, the 20 to 80 grade scale, you know, when it comes to scouting. So 80 is as high as it goes. Uh, and no one ever sees an 80. He has a 70 grade splitter. I mean, this guy's splitter is uh, a- as good as you, as you see in terms of what the movement is. It's a total wipeout pitch. Absolute put-out pitch. I mean, this guy is going to rack up the Ks as he has over in Japan. Uh, that pitch has sort of been likened to uh, Masahiro Tanaka, who you know, who obviously is uh, is is a fellow uh, Japanese pitcher, but you know, is also uh, a heavy um, splitter guy. And and his splitter is about as nasty as there is. And they say that Otani's is even better than that. He mixes in a, a slider and a cutter. He sort of has two variations on his slider, really. Uh, one slider, sort of your your classic sweeping nasty slider, uh, and then he also mixes in uh, more of a cut fastball, so it has, uh, I'll say, you know, less break on it and is uh, a little bit harder uh, and, and straighter, obviously, than the sweeping slider. Mixes in a curve, and then I guess a change. I haven't seen much in the change. Most of the the, the highlight videos that I've watched, um, most of them focus on the fastball, uh, the slider, the cutter, and then obviously that really nasty splitter. So. In terms of the pitcher, I mean, I do the pitcher rankings over at Rasball as well. This guy to me is is easy a top twenty starter. It, it, it's not um, out of the question to think he could be considered a top five guy this time next year if he goes out and has like just a really stellar campaign. He's only twenty three, so there's there's you know some some long term prospects with this guy as well that kind of makes him uh, unique and really exciting because he's so well established, um, you know, as a pitcher. Uh, it, that I think he would probably garner $200 million in the open market, but because of some of the bonus pool stuff in the recent CBA, he's actually limited in terms of what his earning power can be. Uh, he can only actually be paid a, a bonus up to $10.1 million. There's only a handful of teams that can offer that. So uh, the difference between 2 or $3 million with this guy I don't think is going to be big. Uh, I think it's really going to be about him dictating what he wants to do, especially if he does want to also hit in, 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 in terms of, uh, excuse me, hit in addition to pitching. A couple of questions on the pitching part. You mentioned his 70-grade splitter. You mentioned Tanaka. For those that can remember back, Hideo Nomo had one of the filthiest splitters one can think of, and another, again, you know, national relative in Japan. How would you compare his splitter to Nomo's? Um, you know, it, <laughs> I would have to – It's Otani's is so fresh in my mind. That I feel like it's it's better, but I've seen, uh, you know, Nomo's against major league hitting for a long time, and for stretches, you know, Nomo was obviously phenomenal. So, I would say they probably grade out pretty equally. Obviously, there's there's something to be imagined with Otani's. Okay, um, you you wrote about how he's yet to exceed 160 innings. He's 23 years old. Is is there? Um, in, in Japan, they don't pitch as often as they do in the bigs, one would say, because the games per week and everything. Is there any concern about, like, a pitch count or him actually going every five days? Yeah, see, I think that's an interesting wrinkle because uh, the thing with the ham fighters is supposedly they took they took it easy on this guy because, you know, that was his team back in Japan. I know it's a, it's a great name, 80-grade uh, name there in the ham fighters. But uh, – yeah supposedly in comparison to how they handled uh, Darvish, who I think also was on the ham fighters as well uh, before he, you know, he came over here uh, to the States. Um, they threw him up for a lot of innings. I mean, him, Tanaka and uh, uh, Kenta Maeda all had uh, two to three, 200 plus inning seasons. They also were an all-star hitter. So I think that might've factored into it a little bit. I think it was also them looking at him as an investment 
trying to keep this guy fresh because they knew if they put too many innings on his arm uh, and he did get injured that, you know, it would obviously uh, hurt his long-term value and how quickly they could get paid. So it's, it's, it's funny to see, you know, I, I wonder how much the hitting will factor into how it will a team that he's on, you know, implement a six man rotation. Will they skip him at certain times? Uh, if he hits, you know, how does that wear him down? Does that limit his innings ultimately? I, I, that's a big question with Otani is, is, is this guy going to exceed 200 innings ever? Um, and if he hits, I, I think it's hard to imagine that he would. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, now, speaking of his hitting, you know, he throws right hand and he's filthy and he's got, and then he hits left hand with insane power for, for a Japanese player. We haven't seen that before. And we've seen, like you already mentioned, Maeda and Tanaka and Darvish. They've come over. We've seen pitchers do well in the bigs from Japan. Hitters outside of Ichiro, we really haven't seen anything consistently that makes you go, okay, they can bring the crop over here. But Otani's different. Explain to us his hitting skills and how it could translate to, to Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'd say the other guy that was consistent was uh, Hideki Matsui, too. He was, he yes, was obviously yes. excellent. He was, a power, he was a power guy. Um, yeah, see, I think he is more of a solid, like, corner outfield guy that would hit for power and, you know, walk a little bit, strikes out a ton, isn't going to hit for a high batting average. He's got speed, though. And I've heard him comp to, like, uh, you know, a young uh, – uh, Curtis Granderson, which I think that seems that seems a little like you said with Japanese you know players and sort of the track record, that seems a little strong. I wonder if maybe he's more like what Colby Rasmus is, where yeah. like you know he's he's good in his spots, power. He's got speed. He's got skills. You know that translate when he has a big game. He, you sort of look at the box score and go, oh damn, like, you know, Colby yeah. Rasmus is you know. <laughs> maybe he's better than I give him the credit for. Um, but I don't know if, you know, he's the kind of guy that, that really is going to be an all-star over here as a hitter. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think he can hit major league pitching. And I think he could be a, a, a major league player as a, a, as a hitter by itself, but I don't think he's a star. He's a superstar when it comes to the pitching side of things. I've seen some uh, uh, contrasting opinions on his power grades Somebody gave him a, a, a 70 grade on his raw power. I've seen like 60 raw power, 55 game power. So he's got pop. Um, and then in, in terms of his speed, I've seen like 55 to 60 grades in the speed. So he, he does, he can run, you know, so, and he would steal bases, but would you really want to send your ace pitcher to steal bases? <laughs> Especially if he's sliding head first, you know, with all these finger injuries you've seen with trout, and, you know, and numerous other guys like, yeah, the last thing I want is, uh, you know, having having my uh, my ace pitcher being a speed demon on the bases. Yeah, it would be terrifying. You see all these guys wanting the DH because pitchers can't succeed on the bases as it is. Now, Antani's a different case, obviously, but the, like you said, the last thing you want to do is see your, you know, ace pitcher hurting himself because he's trying to turn a single into a double or something. That would just be horrible. Um, you mentioned the $10 million signing bonus and only a few teams are qualified there. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's where he's going to go. He might find somewhere else, get some more wrinkles in the deal so he can, you know, hit, you know, arbitration, get an extension or something, work out the details with them. Who are the front runners to get him? I've heard some names, but I wonder who you've been looking at. Yeah, I think, uh, the you know, just because a team doesn't hit the 10.1, there's a lot of teams that could hit, like, I think it's 8.7. And the, I might be off by, like, a few uh, hundred thousand there, but – the Yankees are one of those teams. The Red Sox are one of those teams. I haven't really heard many whispers with the Red Sox. I think the front runner is the New York Yankees. I think they need to make a splash. It's a big market. You know, there, there seems to be some history there with, with Japanese players coming over, obviously with Tanaka now, uh, Matsui, uh, you know, some obviously less successful guys like Arabu and Keigawa. But they have a pipeline there. So I think that that brand is well established. And they have a need. They have a need for a guy like this. And I, I think that having uh you know tanaka alongside them you know i don't i don't know if they're friendly or not or anything like that but i don't know if that would you know aid the process a little bit make it more attractive i'm not sure there's certainly a japanese uh community uh there in new york the other team that's actually been close in tracking him and i know it's funny because it's another place that a japanese pitcher signed 
but it's it's Texas. And I think there's a reason for a lot of these same teams being mentioned. And it's because these teams scout heavily over there, uh, and they're really, they really do have a presence uh, in that marketplace. And uh, the Rangers have been following and supposedly been nuzzling up to his people for years. They're sort of a dark horse in all this. Um, I think they have uh, the ability to spend uh, eight point something. They're not a full bonus team, but I could be mistaken on that. I have to double check again. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't commit all the books. There's so many teams there, like 20 teams that could potentially be up to like $8 million. So it's, it's tough to throw them all out there. And the other one is the Mariners. I believe the Mariners actually do have the full 10.1 available to them. Uh, they obviously have another team with a history of a great Japanese player there in Ichiro. Huge Japanese community there in Seattle. Um, that might be sort of a natural one for them. Maybe not a bad landing spot either. An excellent ballpark for him to play in and a team that he might be able to bully a little bit and say, hey, I want to hit. Um, I don't know if he can do that to the Yankees, and I'm not so sure he will be the Rangers, but I could be mistaken on that. So I think those teams are sort of in the forefront. Uh, there's there's uh, teams with money to spend, like uh, the Phillies, uh, and obviously the Red Sox, like I mentioned, and uh, a couple other players there that you know are sort of dark horses on all this. But Dodgers are out of it. They can only spend up to three hundred thousand um, dollars, and you know there's a, a few others too, the Padres. Um, so it it could be really interesting. He could end up in like a total dark horse place because he's able to dictate terms. And I think that's another part of this story, another angle that people are sort of ignoring when they're dismissing him as a hitter. If he's coming over here now uh, with these new bonus pool rules, that he's giving up two years and a potential payday and entering into the arbitration process, I would guess that he's going to get his way. And that might be why he's doing it because he's just, I, I want to, you know, part of it might be, I want to play North America. I want to play in the best league in the world. We all want to believe that. Another part of it might be like, Hey, this is my shot to really do what I want. Because if I go over when I'm 25, when the bonus pool rules don't apply to me any longer as an international free agent, teams would maybe pay 200, $300 million, uh, you know, in a, in a big time deal, especially uh, after next year. And we see, you know, some of the money that, you know, a trout, uh, or or Bryce Harper is going to get in the open market. I think it's really going to change things for some of these big-name guys. And 25, he's still young. So uh, as for what teams can do to sort of get around that, I don't know. MLB claims they're going to be, you know, really, you know, strict on this stuff. They're not going to, you know, let, let somebody hire his mother for, you know, $300 million or something on the payroll and have all the money go to him. Like, I don't – I don't know what they necessarily can do. What I've heard is maybe two years in after he performs, uh, a team will be able to promise like an opt-in, opt-out, uh, where he'll be able to to, to make, uh, you know, maybe twenty million dollars a year, twenty-three million dollars a year, uh, to avoid arbitration and, and sort of lock him in. So uh, there was a really interesting piece uh, over on Fangraphs about all the, the the contract side of things written by, I think it was Dave Cameron, but I could be mistaken, but it was someone that was much smarter than me when it came to the business side of baseball. I'm not going to bother to go into anything besides the bonus pools because I don't know how they could structure contracts two years down the road. Like I said, I'm not an agent, so I'm, I'm not that smart. Uh, but there are some things that teams can do, and I, I think it's not going to be one of these sort of just, you know, quagmire from family guy in the club, just throw your cash in the air, Moncada, here's $40 million, you know, uh, you, you know, Louis Robert, hey, here's $30 million. It's not going to be one of those. So um, it's it's interesting to see how who he picks and why. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and, that, and that's what makes it so different. Like you said, the other times, you just like a Mancata or a Robert or any of those guys, it's, okay, I got the money, come over here, we'll take care of this. Or exactly. in the or in the Japan, Japan instance, you know, you have to get the, the fee that the team has to pick where, you know, it was Dice K was – 30 or 40 million you had to pay the team straight up just to have the chance to negotiate with them, but only the Red Sox could negotiate. So they get to pick where you're going type deal. Like you mentioned, um, that's a big difference. Like you said on this, and it's also interesting having so many teams available because he will dictate and he does want to hit. He's expressed that a ton. So he's going to definitely, if teams are saying flat out, no, you're not hitting. Well, you're going to probably go off to the back burner. Um, the last thing there, what I have heard a couple things actually is, Watch where you Darvish ends up, because rumors are Darvish might go back to Texas already. But 
Darvish is apparently like Otani's idol and they're actually friends and everything. So I could see that being a comfortable landing space. Um, it'll be interesting because I've heard about the after two years, they can renegotiate and kind of do like, a okay, we're going to ex extend you, quote unquote, now. We'll buy out your arbitration years and we'll give you the kind of the deal you were looking for if, if you perform. So it'll be really interesting to see how that comes to be. Um, now, we mentioned he's a hitter and a pitcher. And in this most recent draft, I mentioned Brendan McKay went to the Rays, 100 green to the Reds, two stud pitcher, stud hitters. We've seen McKay actually in the minors this year. Um, and in the minor league playoffs, he actually pitched a gym and the next day had a walk-off, leave home run. So he's doing it both. Right now, both teams are saying they're going to kind of play with both angles. How do you see it, Notani coming on and kids like McKay Green and future kids changing the landscape of baseball? Yeah, I think McKay has as good a shot as any uh, North American player of, of pulling this off. And I think the Rays are sort of – uh, off the wall enough that they would definitely give something like this uh, consideration. And he's hit pretty well. He's pitched pretty well. Um, I think long-term in terms of his value to a team, real baseball sense, he's more valuable as a left-handed starter and focusing on that. He's got the body for it. He's a big guy, sort of a big burly guy. He can take the innings, uh, has quality stuff, throws a lot of strikes, can miss bats, you know, get weak contact. He's sort of just not an ace, but a very solid sort of number two, classic kind of number two starter. Um, as a power guy, I think he would have to focus as a power first, first baseman. He's going to have to focus on hitting full time. I never think he's going to be a great, um, but I could be wrong. You know, he's not hitting for a lot of average right now. He's just hitting for some pop. He's got kind of a slow bat. He's, you know, he doesn't have really quick bat speed. Really, most of his value as a hitter is off of just you know, sheer sort of country strength. And uh, that can play for a while in the minors. And I think that you know, maybe they do uh, sort of limit his innings by having him you know, hit a little bit. And so far, you know, he's looked good both ways at times. Um, as for Hunter Green, I don't see it happening with Hunter Green. I think they're just trying to limit this kid because he's so young. And he's throwing, you know, 100-plus miles an hour. Um, and, and that's got to concern you a little bit. It, you know, I, I'm one of these guys that I, I'd rather my starter through, like, 95, 96 with really good control and, like, kind of nasty stuff. Like, had a nasty fastball like that than these 100-mile-per-hour cannons. They worry me. All these guys get injured. I mean, look at Noah Syndergaard. Um, you know, guys, you know, the picture of health muscles on top of muscles keeps on adding velocity onto his fastball but he keeps on getting hurt um and i think arms just sometimes aren't meant to go that fast so that worries me a little bit if i was the reds i would be like yeah you're you're hitting some you know your national league player i'm okay with you you know having some games at dh in this league and you know hitting when you're on the mound and you know maybe you get a couple a, a couple of games a month at shortstop i would not be playing this kid in the field because i wouldn't want him to have some sort of catastrophic shoulder injury and then I got to play him as a shortstop because long term his stuff is about as nasty as it comes and uh, this is the kind of player that within two years could potentially you know as a starter uh, if all things go as good as they can really be an impact player at like 20 in the major leagues um, I really think he has that kind of stuff as does you know another guy from this draft Mackenzie Gore but he's not as exciting because he doesn't uh, he doesn't hit yeah, Mackenzie Gore might be the best pitcher in the draft. It was very impressive stuff with him. Um, last question on Otani. Fantasy impact. You mentioned he's basically a top 20, if not better, pitcher. His bat plays with some power and speed combo. We, we've we actually talked on Twitter about it. I think the best case scenario is in a player pool, you have Otani's pitcher, Otani hitter. There's two Otanis on your league. That's, I think, the best approach to it. Um, how would you – like approach him in a redraft league or a dynasty even? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in a dynasty, like I said, he's a top five starter. He's a, he's a, he's a top asset. I mean, he's somebody that's going to go in the top two or three rounds. I would imagine if you're starting up like a 15 team dynasty right now, I would definitely figure he goes in the top 30 to 45 guys in a redraft league, like a 12 team league. I think people will be a little bit more tempered, but it depends if he comes over, he's in the right market. Um, and, and, you know, he just looks awesome in spring training. His draft aid stock will go up to like the fourth round, probably even one of those drafts. But 
I think safely now he's probably somewhere 75 to 85, and it wouldn't shock me if people reach on him and, and really grab him around 50. Uh, I don't think I would touch him until 85. There's players that happens, you know, a lot where I really like somebody in a draft and I sit him. I love Andrew Benintendi. He's one of my favorite players, one of my favorite prospects I've ever covered. And uh, I, I was I, the, only, the only places I grabbed him is where I could get him like between 90 and like 110. And there were a lot of places where people grabbed him like 75th. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not touching that. You're probably right, but uh, I'm not necessarily all that aggressive on sort of these unknown commodities, even though I love the minor leagues and cover them extensively, particularly in a redraft. I'm, I'm much more cautious with uh, someone like Otani. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. And redrafts, these guys that haven't proven themselves, they're going to have so many more hiccups usually. They might get sent down. There's way, way more questions involved compared to, you know, like you said, 15, 20 picks earlier, you can get a, a much more stable commodity. So it makes a ton of sense in that. Um, let's move on from Otani and talk about some other prospects. First, we'll talk about guys that are having an impact this season, some just recently, some overall. And then we'll talk about some uh, future prospects real quick. But we'll kick it off with the big man in New York and pinstripes, Aaron Judge. Amazing first half, put on the show at the Home Run Derby. Uh, he struggled in the second half. It looks a lot like his second half of the season last year, almost mirroring it. What should we expect from Aaron Judge in the future? I think you can expect 30 home runs. I think you can expect uh, a high, you know, on-base percentage, high walk rates. I mean, this guy's still walking like 13-plus percent of the time. Um, I think you can expect a lot of strikeouts. I would hope that he makes uh, some positive, uh, you know, progression, regression. I know I, I hate when I say positive regression because it doesn't seem to make sense, but it does, <laughs> technically. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think the batting average, you know, will sort of stabilize. I think he's a 270 hitter. And I, I think that you will see less strikeouts. This guy has sort of improved the longer. Uh, he's been at a level when he's been healthy. He's been pretty healthy this season. This is the longest stretch of games he's ever played. Um, I think he's had a really good season. You have to put it in perspective. This guy's a rookie. There's going to be some struggles. Usually after a year or two, Guys like this, you know, the strikeout rate goes down a little bit. It stabilizes around 25%. I think ultimately that's what Judge is going to be, is he could be a, you know, perennial 265, a 275, 34 to 50 homer guy with, you know, lots of RBIs hitting in a good lineup uh, in a good ballpark in New York. So even as a Red Sox fan, I got to say, I, I do think Aaron Judge long-term is still a good investment. But, you know, he's not going to be number one overall the way he looked uh, the first half of the season, like he looked the best player in baseball. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a freak the first half of the season. Um, next guy I want to talk about uh, had a, a massive first half, and he's actually put it together after spending some time on the DL for the Dodgers. Cody Bellinger, I personally feel, is a better long-term commodity because of his power-speed combo than Judge. But what can we look forward to with Bellinger? Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you on, on Bellinger, and it's been that way for quite a while. I ranked Bellinger sixth overall coming into the season, and I had uh, Aaron Judge, actually the lowest I had Judge ranked at 37th. Uh, and, and I agree even long-term now. I think Bellinger is a better ball player. I think he's a better hitter. Um, he's got that wild you know sort of uppercut swing that he's, he claims he's always had. You know, learned, learned from his father, uh, you know, journeyman Clay Bellinger. <laughs> And yeah. I just I, I love this kid all around. He's a great athlete. He can run a little bit, you know, can play a very solid uh, corner outfield. And he's a gold glove first baseman. And I think he's going to be, you know, sort of the the, the heir apparent to uh, 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 Paul Goldschmidt in terms of the best overall first baseman. I don't think it's going to be next year or the year after they necessarily overtakes him there. But I think he'll grow into a little bit more average. I think he's an easy 40 homer guy. I mean, you consider he missed, you know, more more or less a month of the season with the DL time and then obviously being in the minor leagues for the first month or three and a half weeks. Um, this guy easy could be at close to 50 home runs if, if all things go well. So uh, that's him now as young as he is. And, and the sky, you know, the, the, the really the sky's the limit with him. It's, it's crazy to think this is a guy that could be perennial 40 to 50 homers every single year hitting in a pitcher's park at that. Yeah. And it's crazy because when he first started in the minors, everyone had high hopes for him. He wasn't really the big power guy he is now it's developed every year. Yeah. So 
long term you're thinking he's a consistent 40 homer maybe 20 stolen base guy yeah i think maybe the stolen bases will go down a little bit after that but i i think that you know he can certainly steal 15 to 20 bases and I think that uh, the strikeouts, once again, will stabilize with him. I don't know if he's ever going to be a 300 hitter, uh, but he just makes such good contact that I'm, I'm not going to count him out because every year he continues to get better and improve as a hitter. Uh, you know, ever since he really burst onto the scene in, in, in A-ball a few years ago with Rancho. Okay, here's a guy that has just come on the scene in the last month, month and a half, and just taken it by storm in Philadelphia, Reese Hoskins. 18 homers come in tonight in 37 games, just a monster at the plate. He's hitting it off of some good pitchers at times, too. This power, I he's from my area in Northern California, where in college he didn't really even have power there. That's why he didn't really – he went to a small state school. What can we expect of Reese? Can this just balloon into something huge, or is he like one of those prospects when he steps on, he overachieves, then the bigs make adjustments back to him and he might struggle some more? Yeah, I uh, I actually love Reese Hoskins, and and I was I, I had him within my top fifty prospects uh, last July, July of twenty sixteen. So I've always believed in him uh, since he sort of made that you know early breakout in Reading, and I and I know it's easy to compare and contrast him with Dylan Cousins because they both had these great Reading aided seasons last year. But it was obvious when you looked at the underlying stats that Hoskins was for real. This guy is. You know, an easy 10 to 11 to you know 12% walk rate guy. He gets on base. He works counts. But he also doesn't strike out. His strikeouts are, you know, typically, you know, below 16, you know, 17 per around there, even lower. Uh, th- this is a, an elite sort of uh, prospect with a bat. The problem is he's a right-handed hitting first baseman. And prospect list generally, as I was talking about earlier in the show, discount first baseman, they really discount right-handed hitting first baseman. So I think all those things sort of went against you know his favor in terms of his prospect status. But the numbers were always there, and he was phenomenal in Lehigh Valley this year, really was just the best player in the minors the first few months of the season, and certainly the best player in AAA. And that includes Yoan Moncada and some of the other guys, you know, Devers and some of those guys that have, have come through <laughs> AAA before he actually got the call. I've been, I've been banging the drum for Hoskins to get called up pretty much since May or June, and there was no reason for them to ride Tommy Joseph as long as they did. We even moved Hoskins into the outfield. I thought that was even sort of ridiculous because he should be their first baseman of the future. Tommy Joseph is a jag. He's just another guy. Um, I think the underlying skills are there for Hoskins to be a 280, 300-hitter, middle of the order, you know, with a possibility to drive in 100-plus runs. I think this guy is a, is a legitimate middle-of-the-order three-hitter, every day of the week. I, 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 lo- I love Hoskins, and I think he's sort of been undersold, and I'm, I'm glad that he's come up and just absolutely you know, demolished Major League Pitching. Yeah, it's great to see. And, and a big point you mentioned there, most power hitters, especially young power hitters, do strike out a ton. Um, and you look at Hoskins last year in, in bats, 139 strikeouts. This year in minors, 75 and 41. Those are really, really good numbers for a kid his age with the power – you just don't see that every day, so that's a big plus on his side. Plus, he gets to hit in that ballpark, and I agree. There was no reason for him to be in the minors past ever happened. Um, let's talk about a guy in the American League that's trying to keep pace with uh, Hoskins, just went into Philadelphia and homered in every game, homered again on Monday night. Matt Olson of the, or the Oakland Athletics, 22 homers now on the season. Tying McGuire's mark for um, 65 games. He has 14 and 20 games, which only three rookies have done. This guy's crazy. I talked about him last year when he was in the minors, and he had some injury setbacks. What can we expect from Olsen? I think you can expect uh, Jack Cuss kind of a profile. This guy will hit for power. He might, he's probably better than Jack Cuss, but you know he hits for a lot of power. Uh, he strikes out. He walks a ton. He has an elite on-base ability. Uh, and has for a long time. I was really into Olsen a few years ago, 2015, 2016. Uh, had an excellent uh, 2014 uh, where he hit 37 home runs uh, while he was playing in in, in, eight, in high A in the Cal League. Um, and then he followed it up with sort of a, a, an underwhelming season. Still walked 17.9% of the time. And then, you know, the dust, you know, 
the shine was sort of off the roast at that point. Because uh, in 2016, sort of followed it up with another 17 homer year. And it was really underwhelming. And it was funny because I, I, when you watch this guy hit, when you watch him make contact, he looked like somebody who could hit 30 to 40 homers. And, he, you know, he worked counts. He got on base. He did strike out a, lot of, a little bit. But it, a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, how many pitches he took. And I just think, you know, when you walk in an 18% clip, you're seeing so many pitches, you're going to see some stuff in the black that you take. And you get some, you know, some strikeouts looking from time to time. And I think that boosts some of the strikeout numbers a little bit, yes. He tapped into the power again this year. I don't know what the adjustment was. I haven't read any comments from him. He had an excellent year uh, in Nashville with a AAA affiliate. He got called up. He's obviously continued to do this. And uh, this is a guy that I was really high on. I had him ranked 54th coming into 2016, coming into you know, two years ago. And uh, you know that's only four spots behind where I had Alex Bregman ranked. So it just goes to show I was really high in Austin at one point. And I don't even know if I had him in my top 200 most recently just because I was so like, this guy seems like he's a quad A player. He's never going to get it going. And there's just so many of these redundant sort of guys like Ryan Healy, Olsen, uh, you know, Renato Nunez is another one that's he's all bat, no defense. I think Olsen ultimately is probably going to push Healy to DH. And I think uh, you're going to see him and fellow rookie Matt Chapman, uh, another nice uh, power bat. Uh, probably in the middle of the order for years to come, at least where they're controllable uh, for the A's. Yeah, it'll be really good to see. Uh, talking about the New York Mets now, uh, Ahmed Rosario, everyone wondered all year long what's taking forever to bring him up. The Mets just do things different all the time like between you know injuring their players or anything else. You never know what the Mets are going to do. <laughs> but um, Ahmed Rosario finally comes up. He's starting to get it going here the last few weeks. Are we going to get the Ahmed Rosario that everyone saw in the minors or kind of a mix of the early starts in the bigs? Yeah, I think you're going to see a, a solid player that sort of at the end of the year you look at his, uh, his stat line and go, well, I, he had a better season than I thought he did. And you're going to own him for stretches where he's hot like he has been recently. And you're going to love him. Uh, he's going to steal some bases. He's always going to hit for average. He's never going to kill your team. Um, and he'll hit for more power than I think I probably expected. I think he could hit 15 homers next year, but I think he's going to be a solid player. A lot of his value is going to be tied to hitting at the top of the order and hopefully scoring a lot of runs because I don't. he's such an efficient base stealer. I don't see him going wild on the bases and stealing 40 uh, bases, even though I think he has the ability to do that. I just don't think he's going to run enough. I think you, know, you could put an expectation on him for next year of like 280, with you know, twelve to fifteen homers, to twenty-five steals, and you got to hope that you know, like I said, he hits at the top of the order, and uh, the Mets can maybe get some players behind him healthy. You know, an assessment is actually plays like one hundred and ten games, not just like ten, and yeah. uh, and he scores eighty to one hundred runs because I think a lot of his value, like I said, is going to be tied to counting stats because he's not going to drive in a lot, but he will have some power and some speed, some average. Really needs to have those big run numbers though. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe Dominic Smith's production will help a ton there, too. Um, for the White Sox, they have prospects for days. We will not talk about all of them. But one I do want to bring up is uh, Yoan Moncada from Cuba. We've wanted to see him forever. He's got the call. He came over from the Red Sox in the sale trade, and he's starting to catch fire as well. This guy looks like he has all the tools. He didn't really show it with Boston, but we knew he had it. What can we expect is like peak Moncada? Uh, I think Pete Moncada will be a 285. If he figures out how, if he figures out his pitch recognition, he's obviously been on fire recently. As of you know, Tim Anderson, it seems like everybody, you know, Jose Abreu, everybody in that White Sox lineup. Um, if he can figure out his pitch recognition stuff and and really pick up on breaking balls, I still think he struggles with those a little bit. Um, and gets you know his, his strikeout rate down to, let's say, 22 23%, which I think is possible. The hit tool is there. I've seen it before firsthand. Witness him here in Portland. I live in Massachusetts, and I do drive to a lot of minor league parks. Portland, Maine isn't too far, so I did see some of his games out there. And, uh, you know, he's got great raw power. He's, he's got good contact. He has played approach. He's got awesome speed. I think you could be talking about a guy that hits 285, 25 to 30 homers and, you know, steals 25 bases, 30 bases. I think next year it will be more like 
260, 20, 25, 30. I, I still think he can steal bases, and I think he will hit for more power. Uh, you know, maybe I'm high in the power. Maybe it's more like 17 or 18, but he could be a 30, 30 guy with a decent average. If he puts it all together, he really has that ability. Um, and I would say that uh, his ceiling is as high as all right now. Well, yeah, and the way they're building that lineup around him with all the prospects, there's going to be a lot to enjoy uh, in that lineup. So he could really blossom into something special there. Um, Rafael Devers, or Devers, I always screw it up, is um, starting to play. He, he came out the, the box smoking in Boston. You know, scuffled a bit, but still playing really, really good baseball. Kind of everybody wanted him. Over Mankata, it seemed like at times. I could be totally wrong there, but that's what I got from some people. Um, what's the long term for Devers? I, I know they have another big AAA player or third base player in the minors, so you could see Devers maybe go to a different position or something. What are we looking at with with Rafael? Yeah, and I'll and I'll say that uh, the other the other third base we talk about is Michael Chavez, and Michael Chavez is actually going to uh, be heading to the Arizona Fall League, which is like prospect heaven uh in a month or so over in, in arizona and all these backfields and uh he's actually going to be working out at first base so i think they have a plan to move him to first i think they're going to stick with devers long term third now I, I another guy that i watched a lot i saw him in Pawtucket. actually took my kids uh i think the the day before the fourth of july up to hartford because another close stadium to me and i saw him and brendan rogers playing and devers made content i think he was three for five that day Hit a homer clean out of uh, Dunkin' Donuts Park there in Hartford, which is no easy feat. You know, literally hit it out of the stadium, right down the right field line. Every time this guy makes contact with a with, with a ball, it scorches off of his bat. Has that other that different kind of a sound. I, I think this guy is special. This is a, a, a Miguel Cabrera kind of talent. And had I witnessed him. Um, I actually, my, my top 100 list came out the day that I went to go see him or the day after I went to go see him, my midseason. Had I witnessed him before or I had written that list or finished that list, I would have put him above Moncada if I have him. I think fantasy-wise, he's a sure thing. Uh, he's just a better hitter. Even when he came here uh, to Boston, you know, he, he's hitting the ball the other way. He's utilizing the monster as well as any left-handed hitter I've seen, you know, for the, for the Red Sox come up and do uh, in a long time. And it's really scary to think they're going to be able to pair him with Benintendi and Mookie Betts and, and Xander and, and some of these other players long-term. Um, and I think ultimately that's why they're going to move Chavez to first base because they want uh, Devers to be the third baseman in the future. And at times, you know, he's inconsistent in the field at third, but he – he still makes some some gorgeous plays out there in the field from time to time. First game in Triple A, he actually hit a homer off a longtime lefty specialist. He's a, a left-handed hitter, Devers, and uh, you know lefty on lefty, they they put him in there for Syracuse. And uh, like I said, this guy's a ten-year vet, and uh, Devers smokes the ball for the go-ahead homer uh, down the right field line. Um, you know, just another moment where he comes up to Triple A and. You know, the, the moment's not too big for him. And then the next inning, uh, a barehanded uh, stab on the run to throw somebody out at first base to end the inning. So, you know, he'll he'll make some some great plays in the field, and I think that will ultimately keep him at third base. You know, what he could be as a hitter, uh, this guy could be 330, 100-plus. Like, he'd be that, that rare MVP three or four hitter. I think, you know, uh, better average than, than Hoskins, um, but similar raw power and a higher ceiling. So, you know, comparing and contrasting those two corner infield type of guys. Another guy that's a middle-of-the-order hitter, but uh, Devers to me seems like the, the second coming of, like, Miguel Cabrera. Well, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, he's, he's been impressive. I liked everything I've seen about him, but those comparisons and that that breakdown was makes me like him a lot more. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about, and then we'll go on to the next – area is uh, Walker Bueller of the Dodgers. They've called him up to work out of the bullpen for now. He skyrocketed through their system. This guy's got dynamic stuff. High A went all the way through it. Now he's up in the bigs. What do we expect from Walker? I'm assuming they want to make him a starter eventually in the bigs, but he's, he's already scuffling a bit in a short time now, which expected a, a bit, but what do they expect out of Walker Bueller? Yeah, I think uh, you're gonna you can expect a player who is at times 
maddening because his stuff is so good. But it seems that as he's gotten here in the, the higher levels, AAA, you know, he struggled a little bit too. And they've used him with this whole bullpen experiment. I worry about him a little bit. I worry about what that says about his long-term health, why they're sort of taking this wonky approach to him. Why don't they just shut him down and just, you know, have him go through a full year? He's coming off of, uh, you know, Tommy John. This guy was, you know, an elite starting pitcher uh, in college with an elite program in Vanderbilt. He came back from that surgery. He's been throwing harder than he ever did before. And that's why he's sort of skyrocketed up list because of how good his stuff has been coming back off of the injury. Uh, you know, great, great breaking pitch. You know, he does have some, some pitch ability side of things. Misses a ton of bats. The strikeout numbers are phenomenal. But I, I just worry that he's not going to be able to sustain it for seven, eight innings. And if you're going to be a, a, a great elite ace starting pitcher in this league, you've got to be able to pitch a lot of innings. And for me as a, uh, you know, as a fan or somebody, you know, who's investing in players for dynasty leagues and fantasy leagues, oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really want to get involved with a guy that's got that kind of high upside that kind of price tag to bring onto your team. Uh, and he's got those injury concerns and sort of question marks, uh, you know, with his sort of long-term sustainability. That really worries me with Bueller. The pure stuff is as good as anybody. He's a lot of fun to watch, you know, uh, you know, during his time in, in Rancho earlier in the year in high A and then, and then in double A Tulsa. I mean, he looked great. Um, I wish they kind of kept him as a starter and just had a, an innings limit and then shut him down. I don't understand what they're doing. I figured they dynamic piece of the bullpen for him down the stretch here in the playoffs, but I I always saw it coming what they're doing, but I'm not sure that I totally understood it from a development standpoint. I think it was the wrong thing to do, and they sort of played similar games with Julio Urias, and uh, we've seen what's happened with him. Yeah, that's why I was kind of confused. You know, coming off Tommy John, like you said, he's already thrown you know almost 88 innings in the minors. Throwing hard, he looks good. Confidence should be pretty darn high, and, and you're bringing him up. And I, I thought they brought him up after the first, but he might have already been on the forty man. I'm not sure. But I thought they brought him up after the first. They so can't even help him in the playoffs. So that's where I was confused even more by the situation. Maybe they just there, wanted that little bit of experience. I don't know. There's some moves they could make of like dropping dropping somebody off the the forty man. I think and he could be eligible actually for the okay. playoff roster if I'm not mistaken. But I, I could be wrong on that. I've I've heard there's some ways to to work around that if they wanted to. It probably is. Uh, let let's like I could talk prospects for days, and obviously you can as well. But let's move on to a couple others guys we haven't seen yet this year that are shooting up through the minors that you know like your your judges or your Hoskins, Moncadas, who's going to make an impact next season that we don't even really know yet? Sure. Uh, I think one big name that's on the tip of everybody's tongues, and I would say that he's, uh, at this point, the number one prospect in baseball. I don't think there's many questions to that. Uh, unless you're a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. guy, who I don't think we'll see next year unless things go really well, then maybe we see him late September, but probably not, uh, is Ronald Acuna uh, of the Braves. This guy has become sort of the, the hottest uh, prospect in baseball sort of best, you know, two-way talent in terms of, you know, phenomenal defensive center fielder, but also a, a really hyper-talented hitter. Great average, tapping into a ton of power, uh, can steal bases, and the numbers, if you go and you look at them, slash line is great. Uh, you know, you know, 20-plus 20, 20 homers. I think he's got 30 or 40 steals at this point. Uh, and I think he could do that, you know, uh, in the majors. I don't know how soon it will be. Uh, Atlanta's been known to sort of be really aggressive with these guys until they get the AAA, somebody like Ozzy Albies, and then for a full year, you know, like Albies was. Uh, so I don't, I can't, I don't want to say that this guy could break camp, but I think he's got the talent to do it. Uh, I don't know what the Braves' intentions are, but I do think we'll see him at some point next year. And all, all bets are off when this, once this guy is up. Uh, his minor league numbers compare most favorably. I feel like I'm like the hyperbole hour tonight because I just keep on like comparing these guys to Hall of Famers. But really, his 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 minor league numbers compare most favorably to Mike Trout. And there's very few guys that have sort of done what Acuna has done this year. Uh, he will be in the Arizona Fall League as well. So you know if you're if you're going to follow along with that as a prospect town, it's worth checking out. And he's played a lot of baseball this year. I think he might have had a September call up had they not planned on sending him to Arizona. And had he not played off-season ball last year, actually down in Australia, so he's had a really busy full year. And Acuna's been the guy that's just shot up 
from the back end and off a lot of the mainstream lists uh, to the middle to, to right to the very top. And, and you know, he's somebody that I, I'd even consider stashing in a lot of fantasy leagues. I mean, Acuna is, is amazing. Yeah, that everything I've seen on him and the stats, the clips you can watch, this kid is special. And people might say, Mike Trout, you got to be crazy. He, he, Ralph's not crazy. The stuff this kid can do, if even like 80% can translate into the bigs, he might not be Trout, but he's going to be a potential Hall of Famer. This guy is yeah. insanely talented. It's and crazy. He's and he's 19. And I know yep. that, that that's why Braves fans love to compare him to Andrew Jones. And I think in a lot of ways he's probably pretty similar, you know? It makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, the problem is, is they, they won't be in the playoffs. But um, which um, player – we mentioned Green, McKay. You mentioned um, – um, oh, skip my mind. The other top uh, – not McKay. The other big pitcher we were talking about. McKenzie Gore. McKenzie Gore, yes. McKenzie Gore. Which player in the draft this past year you think will be the first one that kind of makes an impact? Doesn't Not the first one to appear in the bigs. First one to make an impact in the bigs. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of guys that will probably be in the big leagues before those guys will. Uh, I think one of them, the, the hit, hitting-wise, the guy that I expect to get to the big leagues first and be an impact player sort of from the jump is uh, Keston Huria uh, of the Brewers. He sort of doesn't really have a position. He's technically a second baseman, just got back to playing second base. But, uh, you know, in, in college, he was one of the top hitters in the league. I believe it was, you know, Cal State Fullerton, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I sometimes I get my, I think it was Fullerton and not Santa Clara, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Fullerton. But it was one of the top, you know, hitters in, in the country in terms of on-base percentage, average, has moderate power. I mean, he's not like a 25 homer guy, but the way homers have sort of played up in this era with, with you know, minor league numbers and how they, all of a sudden these huge spikes in power when these guys get to the, the majors, uh, maybe that ticks up a little bit. But I think he has 15 and 20 homer pop. I think he's very similar to uh, sort of a Dustin Pedroia in terms of what he can provide. You know, high batting average, really good on base percentage, maybe steals a few bases, uh, less than Pedroia, but can steal a couple, maybe hits for a little bit more power than Pedroia. And uh, he just got back to, to playing second base, only played three games this year at second on surgery. Supposedly he's over the elbow issue and uh, was back in a throwing program. He's feeling strong, best shape of his life, all that nonsense. But uh, we'll see how he holds up as a hitter. I think he's the number one guy, first guy to make an impact. And I think uh, the other guy is uh, another advanced college hitter, probably the second best college hitter in the draft, and that's uh, Kevin Smith uh, from the Diamondbacks. I think there's an opportunity for him to come up and hit. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. Um, you know, I think the, the, the superstars are going to come in the form of some of the prep bats, some of the high school bats that were in this draft. But I do think he could be a very good player, hitting in a good ballpark. Uh, and his athleticism might surprise some people. And if I'm going to throw it back to a pitcher, I'm going to say Kyle Wright, see the, the, the big-time Vandy starter there, uh, drafted by the Braves. I think this guy is ready-made. I don't think he's going to need much time in the minor leagues. And I think you could see him as early as next year. Uh, and the other arm I'll throw out, there's another big-time college guy coming out of the SEC, and that's uh, Alex Fado of mm -hmm. uh, the Tigers. He's somebody that had two uh, sort of two knee issues. I think he actually had surgeries in the offseason. And he was really slow to recover from it this spring. Uh, but as he sort of went deeper into the year, it came to uh, the, the College World Series. This guy really ramped it up. It was nasty. Carried it through to uh, the professional ranks after getting drafted by the Tigers this year. And uh, he looks like, you know, he might have been a little bit undersold. Sort of similar to A.J. Puck. It seems like there's a lot of prospect fatigue uh, with some of these college pitchers. And, and they break them down so much that they don't necessarily look at the upside. And uh, I think Fiedo is another really uh, good starting pitcher that the, the Tigers have hit on. They've had a couple in these last couple of drafts with uh, with uh, uh, with Kyle Funkhauser. Obviously, uh, had a, an arm issue, but another guy that they sort of plunked that seemed like he got a little bit of prospect fatigue. And another guy that's similar is uh, Alex Hansen. That I think was you know pretty similar from the previous draft. He's just been phenomenal now with the White Sox. Yeah, he's been really good. Fiedo's really really talented uh, like you mentioned the prospect fatigue because puck he dropped so far in that draft i know it wasn't far far but farther than he should have and i got to watch him when he was out playing for stockton in single a he's so good so so yeah. good got a gold mine there um and then kyle wright that's the name the pitcher that comes to mind for me i thought if he would have went to the right team in that first round 
obviously if you're picking towards the top, you're not usually in contention, but I thought he could have need be. He was that ready to go. Um, so that'll be real interesting to see there. What you mentioned uh, for the D-backs, what, are, what position would he play? Because what I've heard is he's the next replacement for Goldschmidt, but Goldie's not leaving anytime soon. Yeah, maybe they – I think he has the ability to play left field. So uh, certainly better than some of the guys that they've uh, they've trotted out there. They're, you know, this is the team that that does start Yasmani Tomas from, from time to time when he's healthy in the outfield. So uh, <laughs> they're not adverse to, to poor defense. I think he's a better defensive player and more athletic than Tomas. So I think he could play a little bit little bit of left field if, if they really wanted him to. Uh, it will be interesting to see what they do because I've heard – that he worked out for a lot of teams, including the Phillies prior to this draft in the outfield. Uh, so I think that's an interesting wrinkle. Hey, I wanted to mention two more players uh, regarding guys that could have an impact next year. I think they should be mentioned together, uh, but they're two starting pitchers. Just to go back you know, a little bit uh, before we move on. And that's Brent Honeywell and yes. Michael Kopech, two really exciting pitchers, a little bit different. You know, uh, Kopech is just the nasty fastball. Uh, secondaries are coming along guy, but, has like an 80 grade fastball, as good of a fastball as you've ever seen. Uh, and he loves baseball, kind of a maniac, but he's got the big attitude, goes after hitters. Uh, and he's made some tweaks in his, in his mechanics and he's really sort of reined in his control and been able to, uh, for strikes and the slider for strikes a lot more. And then there's Brent Honeywell uh, of the Tampa Bay Rays, who's another interesting personality. He actually got suspended recently for four games uh, going into the playoffs. Uh, because he was tweeting out, uh, retweeting every single person that tweeted him that he should be called up. And uh, the Rays didn't take kindly to that. They suspended him for four games. Didn't matter to Honeywell, or Honey Bear as I like to call him. He came back and uh, and, he, and he pitched his – I think Durham ended up winning the AAA championship, or if not, they're, they're in the one game within the finals. Right, if I'm not mistaken? I, th- I, know, uh, I, know, um, I know Memphis I know won Memphis. the PCL yesterday, yeah. <laughs> But but Honeywell did pitch a gem in the playoffs. You know, he's shown to be money. This guy has six pitches. I mean, uh, an absolute ridiculous fastball with sink on it, 95, 96 miles an hour. Pairs that with an excellent changeup and another really nasty splitter. I don't know how his splitter compares to Otani, but it's it's damn good. I've seen it myself. Actually, I was at his worst start this year. I went I went and I took my son to go see him in Pawtucket. And he got blown up for like eight runs. It was it was great. <laughs> Never fails. Never. Um, uh, why did they not call him up this year? I've wondered that for quite a while. They want they want uh, they want to keep those clocks down, Tampa. And uh, I think that guys having a winning environment, and they just wanted to keep to keep this Durham team together because they certainly could have called up Willie Adamas instead of trading for Hedgeveria. For some reason, why do they let Tim Beckham go? Why why didn't they call up Honeywell? I mean, like, why wasn't Farrier in the rotation to begin the season? This team yeah. could have made the playoffs if they really oh, yeah. wanted to. And they they more or less made a choice not to. They had the players, they could have traded for JT Martinez. You're yeah. right. I mean oh, big time. The D backs didn't give up anybody. No, no, they could have traded away peripheral pieces like Casey Gillespie, who they ended up trading away. They could have traded away some of these guys, and they they would have given uh, the Tigers the same amount of return. And yep. it's like they didn't even try. I was saying around the trade deadline, they should trade Chris Archer, and people got really mad at me. But I was like, guys, you're right. And then And then sure enough, like, all of them came back to me in the last month. They're like, yeah, we really should have traded Archer. I was like, yeah, now that he has elbow problems and no one's going to want to touch him and he's another few months older, yeah, you should have traded him to the Dodgers. You would have gotten Willie Calhoun. He could have been playing second base for you. And you could have called him Honeywell and still made the playoffs, but that's another story. Yeah, the, the Rays killed me. I picked him as my dark horse to make the playoffs before the season, and people questioned me. And, you know, I'm the same way you are. They had the pieces to do it, but yeah. whoever – Whoever's sitting in that office making the final decision, I don't know which guy it is, is making the wrong one, obviously. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. The Beckham one kills me. The Beckham one kills me because they just traded him away for no reason to go and get a, a hetch of Varia? What? Yeah, they, tra- they traded him for next to nothing, too. That was the worst part. Yeah, <laughs> they, they got, like, spare parts back for him. I'm almost mad. It, it's too bad. They're, I guess they would have – and they traded him in the division. I would have been better if the Red Sox tried to trade for him. I don't know if the Rays would trade with the Red Sox, but they trade him within the division and he continued to hit. So it's just 
was a it was just a baffling bunch of moves. They could have called up Adamus as well. I think Jake Bowers could have been part of their platoons in the outfield. Um, yeah, that's a team that should they have all the pieces to be a good real life baseball team, and it's almost like they consciously made a choice to delay it a year when they really shouldn't have, and they should have gone all out because the market was right for them to pick. Yeah, and now you're going to lose Archer, so it's going to be a whole interesting situation there. Uh, another guy, since you mentioned a couple more that I'm curious about, Nick Senzel of the Cincinnati Reds. His name's on the tip of a lot of people's tongues. He can rake. What? When can we expect him? Yeah, as long as he gets over this bout of vertigo that, that ended his season, that's actually why he's not playing. I think there was an opportunity for him to even get a call up here in September, but the end of August, uh, he went out with it. You know, sometimes you see these things where guys are sick, and it's just a day or two, and, you know, it's like they got the flu or a cold or something, and it passes. Well, it turned out to be something that was obviously somewhat serious, and, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be anything that, that haunts him long term. I, you know, think like most, I believe I've known some people that have had it and still sort of gotten over it. I don't know much about vertigo personally, but uh, I assume he'll be healthy and ready to go next spring, and it's totally possible he gets called up really early, like May or June. I mean, I know they got. Uh, Eugenio Suarez uh, at third, but I, I guess they move him over to, to second. I mean, uh, I don't know, because Senzel is going to be the third baseman of the future. I don't think there's much doubt to that. There's a guy that can hit right off the bat, and I think in terms of what he comps to very favorably is Alex Bregman, very similar sort of hitter. It's a good comp. Okay, one last question. You can do it a little rapid fire for us. Um, just give me your top five uh, farm systems, because I like to see who each – person has because they're a little different usually but sometimes the same so just give me your top five uh all right i'm gonna rank the white socks first braves two and it's like one a one b i just think that the, the the high end of the white socks i just like a little bit more especially from a fantasy perspective though then again if, if you're removing moncada it's the braves yeah. uh the dark horse in all this to me number three is the padres i love the padres i'm a huge aj preller fanboy his last couple of signing classes have been phenomenal. This draft was great. Um, you know, he absolutely stole Fernando Tatis Jr., who's going to end up being a top 10 prospect in uh, my updated end of season top 100 rankings. I mean, this guy is awesome. They got him for James Shields. The corpse of James Shields somehow reaped this guy the return of a top 10 prospect, a shortstop at that with major power and bloodlines. Because uh, he's like 6'4, he's like bigger than his dad. I mean, he's probably going to end up at third base long term. But right now, I mean, he's he's mashing. He's like a, uh, you know, 30 home run power and like 30 steel speed. I mean, he's a really interesting prospect. I, I love him. And they have, you know, Mackenzie Gore that they added in the fold. Lots of other players. Uh, tons of guys in the lower minors. Uh, you know, they have like shortstops on top of shortstops. They had so many teams. I believe they actually had to have two Arizona League teams this year yeah, to accommodate did. all their players. And, uh, they got Michael Baez, who's one of my also one of my favorite prospects in the minors. Uh, you know, big six eight Cuban guy that they signed. Uh, throws high ninety velocity in the fastball. Has an excellent changeup that I've actually seen ranked as the best pitch in the mid in the Midwest League. Not just in a, in that great rotation that it features Adrian Morhan and some other really talented arms, uh, but in that entire league, which is a very talented league. Um, and I, I, I love the Padres. I think they could be the number one system in baseball once some of these Braves get called up uh, and once some people get over some of these arms. You know, once Acuna's out of that picture, I think I could have even picked the Padres. Another team I love what they've been doing the last couple of drafts and how they've been building, and uh, that's the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, they've had a couple of excellent drafts. You're talking about Senzel. We talked about Hunter Green. Uh, they also have another prospect that I love, might even like fantasy-wise more than, than either of them uh, in terms of his ceiling, and that's Taylor Trammell. Uh, was a football first kid, was, I think, state player or, or an all-pro player in Georgia, uh, you know, was getting, you know, was a five-star football recruit, chose baseball, went in the supplemental round to them in 2016, and he's showing off uh, power, speed sort of skill set. Could be a serious riser on top 100 list next year. Uh, and they have, it just seems like, a ton of arms right now that are coming up. Louis Castillo is a guy they traded for that was sort of off the radar, and you've seen how good he's been. Uh, he's been sort of phenomenal down the stretch here, and they've shut him down. They've been smart with him. And I guess they're going to throw down the the, the the end number five is the Yankees. Uh, I, I, I like what they've done. You have to understand how they sort of blanket the market with these lower minor guys. They have people like, you know, you know Estevan Florial, who came into this year somewhat unheralded, uh, unheralded 
I've been really high on him for for a while now. I love Floriel's skill set. Um, you know, that, he's a guy that they plucked out of Haiti. I mean, they, they sort of find these guys in in random spots. Uh, they get another guy, Dimas, uh, Dermis Garcia, who's a massive power on base guy. Uh, that's really interesting. And then all the guys that are in the higher minors there uh, that you know about Chance Adams and the like. Uh, so, you know, I, I like what the Yankees have done. They still have Glaber Torres in that system. You know, he'll be back next year coming off of that uh, Tommy John is not throwing arm and that freak accident home plate. Uh, and I still think it's still a very strong system. They draft well as well. Like I said, said they're usually very active in the signing market. And I guess uh, if they signed Otani, uh, Otani, technically he'd be a prospect, and that would certainly boost uh, that system stock even more. But uh, the Yankees have done a good job the last few years of sort of building uh, internally. So I, I give them a lot of props. Yeah, those are five you can't argue with. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff there. I, I love what you said about the Padres because people overlook them because it's not the, you know, who's helping us tomorrow names. These guys are on single A, low A. Some have creeped into double A this year. So it's a lot of names we're not going to see for a few years, but the talent pool is rich uh, with that lower level in San Diego that if they keep doing it the right way, eventually it could be very, very nice. All right, Ralph. We covered a lot. I appreciate all of it. Really, really good stuff. Uh, any final words? No, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. This is fun. I, I love uh, talking prospects anytime I can. Certainly, you can you can hit me on on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. Rasball. My prospect posts on Rasball come out Thursdays and Sundays. I've been doing uh, top ten uh, uh, positional ranks of the top ten prospects for 2018 in each position. I've already gone through shortstop. Starting pitcher, third base, uh, outfield, uh, second base. I'm going to be doing first base and uh, catcher, and then probably moving on to my system. Uh, and I, what I do is actually in the off season is I actually go through uh, every single system in the minors and talk about the top 15 to 20 sort of fantasy players and do a little paragraph blurb on each. So there's a lot to be written, uh, all 30 systems. And then I do uh, the pitching ranks and uh, a pitching profile where I actually go sort of pitch by pitch, uh, inning by inning, uh, with GIFs included of uh, starting pitchers and, and all their different uh, offerings and, and pitches that they throw. So I'm busy a lot, and I also do a little fan track show. I've been doing a live show on Tuesday nights during the season uh, with Andy Singleton, uh, who was formerly of Nickel Press TV, now does all fan tracks video work. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. It's called The Baseball Show. You can go look at the archives. I think we're going to bring it back after the World Series. Don't really have a whole lot of fantasy stuff to talk about, but uh, we typically do a lot of off-season breaking down players going into 2018, so we'll be doing some of that. Uh, so I've got a lot of different ways you can hit me. Oh, and I also have uh, my own podcast, if I can mention that. It's the uh, Rasball Prospect Podcast with uh, Michael Halpern. <laughs> awesome. Busy man. I like it. I like it. A lot of good stuff. Uh, yeah, peruses articles and everything. Lots of good stuff like there. I'll link the Otani article in this deal so you guys can find that real easy. But, yeah, follow him on Twitter, at Prospect Jesus. You'll get everything right there for the most part. But, uh, Ralph, again, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, bud. Uh, everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 56, with Ralph Lipschitz of Rasball.com, talking prospects, Joey Atani, and more. We'll catch you guys next time.